Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose, noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., it's been a while. We've not missed a week of podcasts being released. Yeah. But little secret, we've batched the last <laughs> <Yeah>. two months. <laughs> yeah. And you and I have not been together in the studio for no. at least six weeks, if not two months. Yeah, quite a while. And you still won't hold my hand when you come in here. <laughs> <laughs> we have seen each other, though. We were out yep. in Colorado. Yep, for a wedding. And we went to Avery Chorba's wedding, who is yep. now Avery Stanley. Congratulations yep. to the young couple, Francis Yay. and Avery. It was so fun. I think one of the funnest weddings, if not the funnest wedding I've ever attended. By far the best wedding band I've ever seen in There's, Unreal. I don't know what, they, we were at 8,000 feet. It was yeah. up in Colorado and they had backup dancers in the band. Yes. 16 <laughs> people in the band. I am not a dancer. Uh-huh. I do the bob and weave. Uh-huh. That's all I do. And, uh, and You did I'm, it well. I do the 15 minute obligatory husband dancing uh-huh. and that's it. I outdanced my wife by two you hours. You stayed on the dance floor she till we left. left. Yes. She went and sat down. Yeah. And I said, I'm going back. And you and I owned it. <laughs> I don't know. We I owned, owned it. We owned that At dance one point, floor. you were on the stage. That was the bride's fault, not mine. <laughs> I think it was whatever was in those blinking, glowing cups that were being no, passed around. No, it was around. fun. We had a really good time. We had a good time. But we've spent a lot of time together. But we're back. It feels like we're back with our guests for the yeah. first time in, in a, a good bit. Time. And we're opening this new season or whatever, this yeah. new start of the podcast, with a story question for this episode, and yeah. it's this. What is better, and what is the difference between a coach and a manager? Ooh. Because today's guess is one of them is better than the other. Yeah. And that led to some questions yeah. for you and me. Have you ever had a good coach? Yeah. Have you ever I, been coached exceptionally I, well? I think, yes. And I would say that the best coaches for me are people who ultimately teach me how to think versus what to think. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, like when a coach is showing you not just like, here's how to shoot the basketball, but here's actually how to view the game to be able to like know when to shoot the basketball and when to pass and when to defend. And why you should shoot the basketball this way. And I feel like the coaches in my life were the ones who didn't just go, here's the facts, follow them. Like here's the rules, follow them. But here's how to think about the game, whether that was in basketball or whether that was in acting or whether that was in becoming a professor. Even the best professors, I feel like were good coaches for me because they didn't just teach you what to think. They taught you how to think. I think it's helpful for us as leaders to, recognize when we're managing and recognize when we're coaching. And and I don't think management or managing or manager is a bad word at all. One of my favorite books on the planet is Ken Blanchard's The One Minute Manager. Yeah. But I think to understand that a lot of management is coaching. And I there's a difference for me. I've had coaches, I've hired executive coaches to coach and Mm -hmm. you know we'll do some time together. And if they strictly sort of keep me accountable to my goals, yeah. It hasn't gone well. It's not that, you know, I'm a goal-oriented person anyway. I almost don't need accountability. I'm so driven. It reminds me of our friend Scott Hamilton. He has a trainer who basically just stops him from working too hard. (laughs) It's the opposite (laughs) of what a trainer would do with me. It's like, Scott, you have to stop. And it's a bit like that with those guys who are saying, you know, Don, let's keep you accountable. That's not super helpful for me. But for somebody who actually 
comes in and says, look, here's, and there was a woman I hired out of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and she coached me right when StoryBrand was getting started. We were transitioning from a writer's life, speaker's life, to running a business. Yeah. And I'd run a business 10 years before, but it had been 10 years since I really ran a business with employees. And I hired a, an executive coach, a woman out of Atlanta. She did a fantastic job, but she didn't so much keep me accountable to goals. She kept asking, what do you want things to look like? What do you want things to look like? Here's how I'd go about it. Mm. And if I said, you know, I remember when I was going to hire Tim, I thought, you know, this is seems so naive now. But, you know, I don't need a job description. I want to get to know Tim first and then put together the job description. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tim will go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to work on a job description first and that can evolve. It, yeah. that, to me, that was coaching, right? Yeah. Because it was based on where do I want to go. And I think a lot of coaches make this mistake and yeah. managers make this mistake. They view their whole need to succeed as everybody around me just needs to submit. Yeah. And the mistake there is thinking that people will do that and give you their hearts also. Yeah. And they won't. People are not cogs and wheels. They're not bits in an algorithm. Yeah. They're human beings. And to coach means to figure out, almost like our use of the word guide in the story brand framework, yeah. this whole story is about you, the hero. I'm trying to help the hero win. I serve a part in the hero's life as their guide. The story is really about the people we're coaching, not about us. Yeah. And bad coaches who throw chairs across the room and get in trouble (laughs) (laughs) and all that kind of stuff, it's not about the players. It's about them. Yeah. They let the pressure get to them. That pressure to win, you know, or you're out, gets to them, and they just become bad coaches. And I think it's a gradient, shaded gradient uh, that each of us go from managing to coaching, bad coaching to good coaching, those sorts of things. But our guest this week is Michael Bungay-Stanier. He has a book called The Coaching Habit. Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. Really good stuff. And we're going to find out what's the difference between coaching and managing. Do you find yourself coaching your people or do you find yourself managing your people? And what are the ramifications of each? And he has a pretty good little formula recipe for us becoming better coaches and uh, not fall into this uh, ego-driven stuff. I find, I don't know if you're like this, JJ, when I'm under stress, I stop coaching. Yeah, because it's just get it done I just get need it done to, my yeah, way. We, we and, just need yeah. to get this done. I can count on one hand, perhaps on one finger, perhaps on no fingers, the amount of times that's worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it always yeah. backfires. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work. You're, you know, you're always dealing with human beings. And so um, thank goodness the opening question wasn't, what's the worst you've ever done as a coach? Yeah. You, <laughs> we would have had a lot more stories. This would be a two-hour intro. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been funnier if, we, if you yeah. just said, you know, I think I've been a pretty good coach. Well, JJ, we have this call from... <laughs> sophomore at such and such yeah, college yes. <laughs> who yeah. thinks differently. <laughs> he threw a chair at me. Never. No, never. Well, maybe once. We'd also have a lot of good stories. We'd have some, I have some good stories about you, so I already know there would be good oh, stories. Oh, well, so. let's make time on the next episode. We may have to open up a couple more episodes of the Building Storyman Podcast. But right now, let's actually learn how to be a good coach. I want to know the difference between coaching and managing and how I can do it better. I think we all do. So here's my interview with Michael Bungay-Stain. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Don. I'm really happy to be here. You are a guru, an expert on management, and you actually talk about having constructive conversations with the people that you manage and building rapport and ultimately being more productive. I just recently read an article that said a survey in Japan went out, Japanese workers, one in four Japanese workers, quote, want to kill their boss, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and wow. I, of course, I don't have the bandwidth or the time to research why that's the case, but I imagine <laughs> they're doing something wrong. Well, there I was thinking that my work here was done. But clearly, I've got some more work I need to do. There's here. a ready market for you, apparently, in Japan. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who suffer under the leadership of a, a boss who isn't listening to them, isn't able to have a conversation, and you're here to help. I am. You know, it's true that they say people join organizations, but they leave managers. Mm-hmm. And if you're in an organization, whether it's a big organization or a small organization, for-profit or not-for-profit, really you want to be saying to yourself, how do I show up as a manager, as a leader, as a human being in a way that actually brings forth the best of the people that I lead and I influence for two reasons. One, so that you can bring forth their best so they can show up as a more engaged person. But it's not just about that. It's also about how do you bring them to do what I would call the great work, work that has more impact and work that has more meaning. And you're looking to try and do both of that, the focus of great work, the engagement to bring out their best. And the thing that I champion is helping people be more coach-like. So not turning them into coaches, but being more coach-like, which in the end, Don, comes down to this. Can you stay curious just a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice-giving just a little bit more slowly? Because most of us are advice-giving maniacs, Hmm. and we're just trying to slow that down as the default management technique. Are those the main differences between a manager and a coach? Well, see, for me, a coach is a profession, and there's plenty of people who listen to this podcast who are coaches, executive coaches, or life coaches, or whatever it might be. What I'm trying to do is focus on the manager, the leader, just the normal person. Yeah. In some ways, I'm trying to unweird what coaching is for normal people and say, look, it's not some arcane ritual. It's about just adding curiosity so it becomes a more constant part of the way you show up and interact with people. And those of us who haven't been coached well, it's harder to turn around and coach others. And you talk about in bad relationships with managers and coaches, we create overdependence. Yes. We get overwhelmed and we become disconnected. What is it costing our listeners? to not coach their people well? The people with whom you work are everything when it comes down to it. I mean, they say that culture eats strategy for breakfast Hmm. and culture is the behaviors of the people in your organization. So if you're thinking to yourself, what will make the difference for us is that smart thinking, that position. But having had that thought, how do you then enact it? Well, then you need your people to help you with that. And if you can bring the best of your people out so that they're not feeling overwhelmed by the work that they're doing. They're not feeling disconnected from the work that matters. They're not feeling just having an over-dependent team that's kind of sucking them dry. If you can bring that out, then everybody wins. I want to go into the seven kinds of questions that you want to ask to be a good coach. One is the, the kickstart question. You start a conversation about what matters to them most. How does that work? So the principle behind the Coaching Habit book is to say, look, you don't need that many questions to actually step up and lift your game as a manager, as a leader. As you say in the book, there are just seven questions. And the kickstart one is just a really powerful way to start a conversation. Because one of the barriers that we're up against, Don, is people going, look, Michael, this sounds all very good. But honestly, I am working really hard these days. I am flat out. I am behind on my email. I'm behind on my meetings. I'm behind on my obligations. I don't have time for this coaching stuff. I've seen it. You know, it's a 40 minute, 60 minute comment. Who has time for any of that stuff? And actually, I would say nobody does. I think if you're a busy manager, then what you've got to do is believe that you can coach in 10 minutes or less. Hmm. 
Now, if you're nodding your head and going, well, that sounds interesting, that means you've got to get into these conversations fast. You don't have time for one of these meandering starts to a conversation. So that's why the kickstart question is so powerful. What the kickstart question is, is what's on your mind? And what's powerful about what's on your mind as a way of starting a conversation, it says to them, hey, it's up to you to choose where we go with this. I'm giving you that autonomy. Mm, I'm giving you that yeah. mastery. I'm giving you that that sense that you get to be the author of this conversation. But don't tell me anything. Don't tell me everything. Tell me the thing you're excited about or worried about or just consumed by at the moment. Let's go somewhere important and let's go there fast. So what's on your mind digs you in there quickly. How do you dovetail that? Let's say you know a manager's listening and spending in a certain department has gotten way out of control. Right. And you know you've got to figure that out. Yeah. How do you go from what's in your mind to you guys are going to have to cut spending? You know, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Because most leaders are going to be agenda-driven, and they're, it's going to be counterintuitive for them to put the agenda in the mind of the person who they're talking to. Sure. What you're potentially looking for is maybe a combination of coaching and a combination of feedback as well. But say we've got this issue where you're like, okay, we're overspending. We've got to cut the, the budget. One option is you come and you go, right, I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you what to cut. I'm telling you how to do this. And that might get the results. But what it doesn't do is actually build this team up so that they're more autonomous, more creative, feeling that they can make these decisions by themselves. And it didn't make them want to cut spending. Right. So you go, hey, Don, we've got to cut your budget because, you know, the market shifted, sales are down, expenses are up. What do you think the real challenge is for us around cutting the budget? So what's the real challenge here for you is the third question in the book. It's the focus question. And what it acknowledges is that often what we think is of the initial challenge is rarely the real challenge. So you go, okay, so let's, let's have a think about this. What's the real challenge for us in cutting the budget? And then you might add the best coaching question in the world, three simple words that make all the difference, and what else? Hmm. And what else just says their first answer is never their only answer, and it's really their best answer. So then you go, great. And what else? What else is a challenge for us cutting the budget? You talk about that being the second question. So the first question is the kickstart question. The second question is the all question. And That's what right. else is what that means. It allows the person to continue their train of thought. And the only reason for the second question, which sounds like a rephrasing of the first question, is because you're saying the first time you ask a question, you're not actually going to get the answer probably. I reckon that there's always a second answer that's going to come. And yeah. sometimes the second answer is less strong, but often the second answer is more strong. The other reason that the M1 else question works so well is it's a self-management tool to stop your advice monster. That's what happens when <laughs> as soon as somebody starts yeah. talking, your advice monster yeah. comes up out of the dark, goes, oh, I'm going to add some value to this conversation. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tool to manage your advice monster and keep that calm down as well. I remember learning that a long time ago, that a good 50% of successful conversation or connecting, I should say, with someone, certainly even with my wife, you know, it's not the talking part. It's the actual listening and just keep asking questions so that they sort of helping them playing catch a little bit as they process their own ideas and feel heard. And then, Don, you take us to an interesting place where you pull out the subtleties between actually listening to what they're saying and then doing the fake active listening, which lots of us have mastered. So lots of us know what it should look like and sound like if we're listening. So, you know, we tip our head to the side and we look both interested and concerned and caring yet curious as well. And we nod and we make small grunting noises of encouragement. Mm -hmm. But actually in our actual head, we're going, 
oh my God, when will they stop talking? I just need to tell them what's in my head. Or is that my email going off? It's my email going off. Or, hey, I wonder how the World Cup's going at the moment or whatever. And the ability to not only look like you're listening, but to actually ask the question and then be present and listen. Uh, it sounds simple, but it's actually a real shift in behavior for lots of people. Yeah, it, it does sound simple, but it is very difficult. That leads us to the fourth question. The foundation question allows you to see the underlying desires of requests. Right. And the question is, what do you want? What do you want? And, you know, with all seven of these questions, Don, they're simple to ask, but they're challenging questions. And none of them necessarily have a fast, easy answer. And of all of them, I think this is often the trickiest. In fact, I almost called it the goldfish question. Because huh. often when you ask somebody, what do you want? You get that kind of goldfish look. Their eyes pop open a bit. Their mouth makes that kind of guppy face. <laughs> because so often when we're in this conversation and you go, okay, if that's the real challenge here for you, what do you want? People don't know what they want. And they have to work and they have to figure it out. And that's a really powerful learning position. But here's the twist on it. I think that question, what do you want, is actually a wonderful question for self-management again, hmm. particularly if you ever feel upset, confused, discombobulated, annoyed, frustrated, just angry, sad with the people with whom you work. And, you know, I'm going to guess that's pretty much everybody listening in right now. Certainly is true for me. And when you get to that place of feeling discombobulated, actually taking a breath and asking yourself, what do I want here, is actually a wonderful way to ground yourself into the conversation and kind of as soon as you go, what do I want, and get clear on that, often the next steps in that conversation to strengthen and repair that relationship become more obvious. I also love that question because it dictates sort of what the narrative is going to be about. And when when you actually invite you know, the person that you're leading to acknowledge something that they want or think about it and define it, it gives them ownership of whatever it is that we're talking about, whatever it is that we're doing. Because a, a story starts when a character wants something. And if they don't want something, there is no story. Right. You know, one of my mentors, uh, a guy called Peter Block, well, really a, a big figure in the world of learning and development and organizational development. Yeah. He said, look, I, I frame my work that I do is about giving people responsibility for their own freedom, giving people the ability mm. to build adult-to-adult -adult relationships with those people with whom he works. And I was like, well, that's interesting, Peter, and I love that. But what does an adult-to-adult -adult relationship even mean? <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those things where you go, it sounds good, but what, what, what does that actually mean in reality? Yeah. And I loved his definition. He said, look, here's one fast definition. It's being able to ask for what you want, knowing that the answer may be no. Hmm. And often we're not that good at asking for what we want because we don't really know. Or we're not that good because we do know what we want, but we don't feel we can. Or we're not that good at saying no when somebody asks us for what they want. And being able to navigate that is really, that's kind of the foundation. It's like how you build powerful relationships with the people in your life. Okay, after we ask the foundation question, we get into question number five, the lazy question, in which you kindly ask, what do you want from me or how can I help? <laughs> and what I will say is that these questions, they're not a script. You don't have to follow them yeah. one through yeah. seven. They're more like tools in your toolbox, right? Yeah, they're like tools. So you're like, what's the question that will best serve me now? They do have a certain arc to them, but they're not a script. You don't have to follow them slavishly. Yeah, so the lazy question. So this really just points the finger at this recognition that so many of us are primed to leap in, fix it, solve it, do it, make it happen. And that definition of being more coach-like, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action 
and advice giving just a little bit more slowly. What you're really saying is you've got to slow down that jumping in to fix it. Mm. And so often we're wired to not slow down. So the lazy question, it sounds paradoxical because when you say, how can I help? That doesn't sound the act of a lazy person. But actually what you're doing is you're short-circuiting your desire just to leap in and start the intervention. But you go, okay, before I do anything, let me just ask you, Don, what do you want from me in this situation? Mm. And here's what's going to be great for the people listening in. Half the time, Don will go, Michael, I don't need anything from you. I just needed to come in here and have a bit of a complain about whatever <laughs> was going on. And yeah. you're like, perfect, you can leave. Or they might go, huh, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want from you. And you're like, okay, well, go away and think about it and then come back when you know what you want from me. And it will save you time and effort and heartbreak and pointless work because you've actually, rather than rushing to action, you've just said, okay, I get what's going on. What do you want from me in all of this? And the great thing about that is it puts their expectations of you back in their court. You know, as selfish as it might be, you really just want to fulfill whatever they want from you. If you don't ask that question, you have the mental energy of trying to figure out how you can solve their problem. Yeah. When really they need to say, here's what I need you to do in my journey of solving this problem or whatever. Yeah. And here's what other people also need to know. When they tell you what they want, you have permission to say no. <laughs> you mm. don't have to say yes to everything they ask for because that's an anxiety that people have. Well, I've asked, what do you want? What happens if they tell me? <laughs> I don't want to do this. Well, you're like, well, that's your job, so you have to do that. So how do we figure a way through this or whatever it might be? And number six, you actually guide them to think strategically. It's the strategic yeah. question forces the person to recognize boundaries. And the question is this, if you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? Why is that so important? Well, this is an easy one for the StoryBrand fans yeah. because the very discipline of the whole StoryBrand process is say no to about 90% of all the stuff you're currently doing. Mm, more like 99, but yeah. <laughs> so that's what it's about. You know, a yes is useless unless it comes with no's to give that yes more shape. I would imagine this question, number seven, the learning question you kind of ask at the end of a certain project or at the end of a, right. a narrative as it wraps up, what was most useful to you? What was helpful about this project? I think the most powerful role that you can take on in somebody's life is to be a teacher. You know, mm -hmm. Yes, if you're a leader. Yes, if you're a manager. But just if you're, a, if you're a human being with another people, help them learn. But to help them learn, you have to understand how they learn. People don't learn when you tell them stuff. It's frustrating, but that's the truth. Yeah. People don't learn when they do stuff. I mean, they kind of start to shift a bit, but not really. They learn when they have a moment to reflect on what's just happened. So if you complete a story brand module on their online course, at the end of it, ask yourself, what was most useful or most valuable for me here? It will force you to extract actually the key learnings for you. Hmm. If you've just had a conversation with your one-to-one -one team meeting, ask the person, hey, before you go, what was most useful or most valuable for you here? If you're on the phone to your client and you've had a great conversation and then you go, hey, just before you go, what was most useful for you out of this conversation? Three things are happening. First of all, you're forcing them to extract the value from the conversation, value yeah. that they might otherwise miss. Secondly, you're getting feedback. So actually you get to know what to do more of and what to do less of the next time you have that interaction with that person. And thirdly, and this is kind of the more subtle way, you're framing this interaction as a useful, valuable interaction. 
So, you know, at the end of the year, then somebody goes, so what's it like working with Michael? And they're like, I don't know. It just feels like every conversation with him is both useful and valuable. Yeah, no kidding. That's because at the end of every conversation, I went, what was useful and valuable? <laughs> That's actually a great tool for any kind of communication. That's right. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Michael Bungay-Stanier in just a moment. We get a lot of letters at StoryBrand, a lot of letters from clients, a lot of letters from alumni, and a lot of letters from certified guides. These are marketing professionals who have come through our program so that we can teach them how we do marketing. But one stood out recently, and it stood out because I think a lot of marketing professionals feel like they're manipulators. And what I mean by that is they feel like they have to trick people into buying things. And our whole framework, our whole program basically says, don't trick anybody to anything. Invite people into a story that will help them win. And if you're helping a client with a great product that can help them get in shape or make more money or save more money or experience more peace or have a cleaner house or have a car that runs better, all the little problems that come in life, every business solves one of those problems. And if as a marketer, you can help a company explain how they can solve a problem to a customer, you're gonna grow that company. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is the opposite of sleazy sales. And when you actually make that transition from somebody trying to trick people into buying something to somebody who actually serves as a guide in a hero's life, it's not just transformative for the hero or for the customer or for the client, it's transformative for you. I got this letter from Chris Borland. It's a little bit long, but stick with me because it's super interesting, super vulnerable. And I think to some degree, everybody who goes through the Certified Guide Program has this kind of transformation. He says this, marketing saved my life. That's his first sentence. That's a good hook. Eight or nine months ago, I was in a bad place. Emotionally, psychologically, I was far gone and only going farther. At that point, I had been unemployed for more than six months. The couple of gigs I had tried during that time had lasted days, not weeks. I couldn't even get a part-time job at a bookstore. Every day, the desire to stay sober slipped a little more into the background. It got a little more lost in the noise. What had been a fervent, desperate hope became instead the gloomy despair of inevitable doom. I found myself thinking dark thoughts, dark, lonely, destructive thoughts. Then, one day, my brother gave me a book. It wasn't a book on religion or psychology or Scientology. It wasn't a self-help manual and it didn't come from Oprah's book club. It was a book about writing. Specifically, it was about writing for marketing. And it clicked. I got it. The ideas seemed so natural, so intuitive, that I wondered how I hadn't thought of them myself. It made sense. I've been a marketing copywriter now for six months, and it may be the best six months of my life in more than a decade. Perhaps the best six months of my life since college, although for very different reasons. I wake up early not because I have to go to work, but because I get to go to work. I work into the evening, sometimes not because I must, but because I can. It's true that I'll never be, quote, cured of my addiction, just like I'll always battle with depression and anxiety. But for these past six months, I find myself forgetting about addiction. I find myself not remembering to be depressed or anxious. The world has a downer on marketing and those who practice it. And I get it. Sometimes we're hucksters, liars. Sometimes we're worse than that. All I know is, for the first time in my life, I love what I do. Marketing saved my life. Well, to be honest, Chris or anybody like Chris could have written that about just about any line of work that helps people. But I think that's the difference. When we have that identity switch of, I'm not in the world to trick people out of something, I'm in the world to serve them, to help people solve their problems. 
I love this email because I remember when I was writing Building a Story Brand, the book that Chris is talking about, I thought it was so much more than a book about marketing. This is a book about a role we get to play in life. Instead of being the hero and having the story be all about ourselves, what if we got lost in helping others? What if we became the guide in the story and everybody around us became a hero? What would that do? Chris has stumbled on stuff that's age old. Viktor Frankl talked about this stuff. Having some reason to get out of bed in the morning that serves somebody else. And I love the fact that if we have that in our life, it can distract us from anxiety. It can distract us from depression. My book is about marketing. It's not about overcoming depression. But it is a book that gives you a role to play in life. Listen, if you love marketing and have done marketing for a long time and are really good at marketing, and you want to join a community of marketers who have no interest in being sleazy salesmen and all sorts of interest in serving their clients and helping their clients invite their customers into a better story, I want you to consider our certified guide program. Chris is an alumni. We have nearly 300 other alumni, and you can be one too. Just go to storybrand.com slash guide. That's storybrand.com slash guide. I can't promise the same kind of transformation that Chris has experienced, but I promise we will teach you a marketing framework that will give you enormous amounts of confidence. So when you sit down with a client, you can take them through a process that will get them returns. And there's something about waking up in the morning and having a positive impact on the world that makes us feel better. Not just the people we serve, it actually makes you feel better about life. Chris, what a great, vulnerable, open, honest, awesome letter. I loved it. I'm grateful. I heard it. And I'm thankful for you. If you want to join Chris, go to storybrand.com slash guide. Storybrand.com slash guide. We'd love to see you. Okay, Michael, you know, anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I use it to get free consulting. So I'm going to just use it to get free consulting right now. <laughs> a couple of my leaders uh, and I went to lunch today, a few of them. Uh, we jump in the truck. We got about a 15-minute drive to lunch. We're meeting somebody else at lunch. And so we're not going to be able to have an inside conversation. I've got 15 minutes to deal with an issue. We're behind a little bit on our second quarter quota. I say, you guys, I don't think we're going to make the numbers. You know, and I'm a little frustrated, not super frustrated, but I'm frustrated. I feel like we are underperforming a little bit. Uh, what do you guys think? Right. And the conversation was sort of like, well, we're not underperforming that bad. You know, if you look at numbers this way. And of course, when they said that, I'm like, no, we're underperforming. Just agree with me. Come on, let's fix the problem. <laughs> Michael, coach me to do a better job in that 15 minute drive. How should I have handled that? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm already feeling that you may be entirely uncoachable, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. <laughs> okay, I'm in. All right, so let me ask you this, Don. Yeah. When you're thinking about those people in the, in the car, what's the real challenge for you in the conversation you wanted to have? I would say the real challenge is probably the fact that I'm writing a book right now. I'm able to spend a total of maybe 15 strong minutes a day with my key leaders, if that. It was more like, hey, we're not on the same page right now about what our quarterly goals were, the fact that we're coming up a little bit short. So I, I think the challenge would be for me, and this is a selfish challenge I imagine you're going to tell me, is I don't feel like we're all sharing my concern. That I think that's what I was trying to say. Got it. So what's interesting in just that conversation is how it's already shifted from a focus on them to a focus on you. And... The way I asked that question actually matters, Donk. If I just said, what's the challenge? You'd have gone, our, our numbers are down. Right. If I said, what's the real challenge here for you? 
Uh, now the spotlight swings from the challenge to how you're dealing with the challenge or what's going on for you. Well, that's interesting because I wouldn't have put words to it until you actually asked the question that way. Well, the real challenge is I don't feel like we're all sharing my concern. Right. Because, you know, if I just take in your first thing that you mentioned, I'm like, well, here's how you have a conversation about numbers or here's how you give feedback. But actually, it's shifted to a kind of more personal, more profound moment where you're like, okay, I'm not sure I'm communicating the concern I have. Mm. So then you go, okay, so what do you want? I want uh, some creative synergy about what we can do to close out the quarter well. Nice. I think that's what I want. Yeah, what else do you want? Which feels, feels very safe, right? Uh, what else do I want? I want us to reach our potential and not rest on our past successes. Got it. So what I'm hearing there is a sense of kind of a shared ownership that you have for the possibilities of story brand. Right. And they have that. I can't say that. I mean, that, yeah. you know, that's all there. But yes, that would be right. And what was interesting for me is when I asked that, what do you want, that first question, you didn't have a quick response. My guess is you kind of actually looked up to the ceiling a little bit. A little bit. Kind of go, yeah, what do I want here? And again, what's happening here is the focus is not on fixing the other people, but it's actually the spotlight keeps coming back to you to go, okay, so what do you really want here? And if it's around creative solutions around how to do that, so let me check in with you. Does that actually feel like enough by getting that insight around what I want is some creative solutions to generate this? Does that give you what you need or do you want more from this conversation with me? No, I think that would have given me what I need. My question is, in the actual car, what would should have been the first question that I asked? Now that I feel more centered because yeah. you've helped me do that. Knowing that I want a sense of shared ownership. And honestly, StoryBrand is busting. This team is working very, very hard. Yep. Everything is a success. But one of the things the team will tell you is that I measure our success against our potential, not against the scoreboard or right. any of that. I just feel like we have even more potential than what we're doing. Yeah. And I want us all to share that desire or at least understand that. What's the first question that I ask if and again, I'm confessing I've got an agenda stepping into the car. Because if I just say, hey, what's on you guys' mind? Yeah. We don't get there, right? We don't get to the, yeah. the conversation that I want to have in 15 minutes. For sure. So here's a coaching technique that I'm going to use. And I'm just flagging it so people hear it. Because yeah. when somebody asks you a direct question like that, what's the first question I should ask, Michael? <laughs> what that does is it just says, hey, advice monster, feel free to come on out. <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, my advice monster goes, look, you were invited to tell him what to do. Why are you turning this down? But here's my habit. Here's my just habitual response. I go, Don, that is a great question. And actually, I've got some ideas about what questions you could ask to get things going. But before I tell you what I'm thinking, let me ask you, now, now that you're feeling more centered, what do you think the first question might be that you could have asked? Hmm. That's a, boy, that feels like a, a game show question. I got to get this right. Just take a guess. Might have been. How are you guys feeling about the slight gap between where we are and our second quarter goal? Yeah, that's an interesting possibility. What else could you have asked? I, don't, I really don't know. Yeah. To the folks listening in, the, the three principles we teach when we're teaching uh, how to be more coach-like are be lazy, be curious, be often. Now, being curious, you're probably getting, like, how do you manage your advice monster in all of this? Right. Being often is to say, look, every interaction with somebody can be a bit more coach-like by email, by text, by phone, in the truck. It's saying, I'm just trying to be a bit more curious. And then being lazy is this whole idea of resisting the leaping in and fixing it and solving it. Hmm. So you can see how lazy I'm being in this call. 
Don is doing all the work. Yeah. Even though he keeps trying to get me to do the work, I'm like, yeah, good, <laughs> good try there, Don, but what do you reckon? But here's the thing. I've gone, Don, I've, I've got some answers, and i am share them with you, but what are your first thoughts? And he's given me his best shot. I'm like, they're great. But what I get now to do is perhaps offer up some suggestions that remind Don that I'm, in fact, the smartest person in this conversation. So I both get him to do the work, but also make sure that I add value and help him out as well. Right. So... Just remind me, Dom, what's the thing that you most want from this conversation? My leadership united in the sense of we have amazing potential and we're not going to let it slip away. Yeah. that's That would be the thing that I want. So part of what I try and resist is trying to ask a question where I think I already know the answer and I just want them to get the answer that's already in my head. If I'm doing that, I'm like, why don't I just tell them what's already in my head? Right. saves us all the issues and we're no longer playing games with each other. And now you get into the, the difference between coaching, which is an everyday process of staying more curious, and feedback, which is when you go, I need to tell you something that may not be going as well as it might be. So I might start with some feedback. I go, Let me give you some data. We were striving for X million for this quarter. We're X minus Y million for this quarter. Now let me tell you how I'm feeling and a judgment I have around that. I'm frustrated and a bit sad because you know I measure our goals by our potential and I still don't think we're up at our potential. So the next part of the equation, let me tell you what I want. So I would love to ask you, what do we need to do in the short term, but perhaps also the long term to kind of get closer to our potential so we get closer to our Q2 target and our 2020 target? So what I want, and here's the request, what I would love for this 15 minutes in the car, in the truck, is just to brainstorm our clothes off until we come up with some ideas to go, how do we get closer to our potential? Hmm. So what you're doing there is actually a feedback piece and then a request around that. And in brainstorming, you're like, okay, I love that idea, Simon. That was amazing. What do you think the real challenge is for us in terms of executing that idea? And then you get into a kind of coaching process with them as well. I love that. That would have gone much better. Tim is uh, our podcast producer. He was in the truck today. I'm going to look at Tim. Tim, do you think that would have been a better conversation than what we had? He says yes. <laughs> <laughs> he says yes. You passed the Tim test. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. And, and honestly. Even, even if you didn't believe that, Tim, I appreciate you saying yes. Nonetheless. No, he definitely believes it. He definitely believes it. Okay, Michael, I'm sure you've helped hundreds, if not thousands of people just like me figure out how to stop uh, being a dictator and begin coaching. Uh, tell us a before and after story about uh, some changes that you've seen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, some of the greatest joys is we're, we're running our training program and they'll come in after the coffee break and people will go, wow, I just had my conversation with Simon on my team and I had the best conversation I've ever had <laughs> with them just because I actually asked a few questions and trust the process and then mm. shut up and listen to the answer. You know, so I'm like, so I asked him, so what's the real challenge here for you? And he told me. <laughs> and then I said, and what else? And he told me. So I said, so what do you want? And he told me. And he's like, man, that was an amazing conversation. And I walked away going, I have never worked less hard and had more <laughs> impact than I just did in that conversation. Yeah. So none of this stuff creates a, a hallelujah moment that changes an entire culture overnight. And that's why we call it the coaching habit. The first chapter of the book is actually just about understanding what it takes to shift your behavior by building habits. 
And by building the habit and doing that work and by bit by bit shifting your behavior so you get to stay curious a little bit longer and rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly, that's when you start changing the nature of your relationship and allowing those people that you have the privilege to interact with and perhaps to lead to show up as kind of people who are focused on the great work, work that has more impact and work that has more meaning. Well, this is fantastic. The book is The Coaching Habit. You can get it anywhere you buy books. If you want to have better conversations, uh, this is the book to get. Michael, thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Doc. Well, there you go, Judge. I might have got a little bit of free coaching. <laughs> you, seem, you seem to do that a lot lately. <laughs> it was on my mind. Which is amazing. I love it. I love it because it's free coaching for me too. We've never hidden the fact that this podcast is basically me just getting free. Yeah. Some of these people are very expensive. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> and not only do we get that magic, but then we get to pass that on to others. So. I thought he, I, you know, asking, but why did you do that? Why are you doing what you're doing? What were you thinking? What were you defensive about? Yeah. What were you, those are just... Huge deals. My wife is a master at, you know, you know, Betsy and I, mm-hmm. and I almost feel weird for saying this. We don't have a lot of tension in our marriage. We yeah. never have. Yeah. I, I can count on literally one hand the number of arguments we've ever had. None of them have ever gone past DEFCON 2. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And usually it's solved with like a burrito. Uh-huh. Like if we just eat. <laughs> yes. Get, take <laughs> for a, whatever reason, yeah, we like each other. Get your blood again. sugar up <laughs> and exactly let's talk. It. But I think that's part of it is she is so good and hopefully I'm okay at it. At just asking, why are we really, what am I being defensive about? Even from childhood, am I bringing up? And, you know, a coach will help you get there. Yep. Where a manager, nothing, I don't think managing is a bad word. I want to say it again. But they're just trying to get results without Mm -hmm. answering why you're doing what you're doing or looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. So, Michael Bungay-Stanier, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, I think that was super helpful. Now, next week we have, I think, one of the best themes we've ever had on our podcast. Yeah. And you don't want to miss it. It's about getting back up. Yep. It's about recovering. Yeah. It's about uh, when you fail. I just did a podcast interview before we recorded this on Michael Hyatt's podcast. Mm-hmm. And he that's the one question. He asked two questions. But the main question he asked was, why are people so afraid to live a great story? And mm-hmm. he, he really just wanted one answer. And I said, it's because they're afraid to fail. And if you understand that if you fail 90% of the time and you succeed 10% of the time, the odds are seriously in your favor. Imagine, JJ, if you won the lottery only every 10th ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be doing yeah. really, really well. Really well, yeah. In life. And I think it's true. Yeah. I think people fail the sixth time and they say, I'm a loser, mm-hmm. and they check out and they don't understand the odds. They don't understand how the odds work. Yeah. Getting back up is critical. And so yeah. in order to do this, Allie actually talked with my friend Jason Russell. Jason and I were just texting last night. Jason is one of the most inspiring, creative geniuses I've ever known in my life. He's a filmmaker. He directs musicals. He just took his family on an around-the-world trip and wrote a children's (laughs) book about it. He's the guy who created Invisible Children. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got a call, and Jason's going to talk about this in the interview. I got a call from my friend who worked at the Today Show. She was Matt Lauer's producer. And she said, we're going to have Jason on the Today Show. Is that a good idea? I said, well, Jason's brilliant. It's a great idea. He's exhausted. (laughs) I don't think he slept in three days. Yeah. But she called me the next day. I was on a tour bus in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And she called me and said, 
Um, Jason is on film running naked through the streets of San Diego. He's had a mental break. And Jason may go into what happened. He was just, he's completely exhausted. And he had the number one YouTube video in the world at the time. And I sat and I wrote a blog and I sat and watched the TV in the bus and waited for the story to break. And when the story broke, I posted the blog. And it was about understanding and being forgiving and not judging, you know, just trying to counter the narrative, whatever he was going to get attacked with. That's a big deal. It's a big fall. I mean, public humiliation or whatever. I've never seen anybody in my life bounce back better. Mm. Just being completely vulnerable and honest, talking about who he was at the time, where he is now. There's, There's no drugs involved. There's no scandal involved. There's nothing... It was a mental break from a guy who hadn't slept and the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He's trying yeah. to catch a criminal in Africa and recruiting the U.S. government to do it yeah. as a young guy in San Diego, right? Yeah. It's like, and he was succeeding. Yeah. And it's not often that a guy who's that creative of a genius, because he's a creative genius, he's a savant in many ways, also has the depth of character that he has. Yeah. I love this interview. So I want to play a little clip from what you're going to get next week. I think it's one of the best episodes. Allie lives out in California and she was able to go down and talk to Jason and uh, get this interview. It's a compelling story. And any of you, anybody who's ever fallen down and was afraid to get back up or feel like you have a mistake in your past that names you, that's affecting your leadership. And it can't anymore. You've got to get over it. You've got to forgive yourself and you've got to move on. And the world still needs you and has purpose for you to do good things. And I think it's one mistake to make a mistake. It's a second mistake to let that mistake take you out. And there's no reason to make two mistakes. Just make one (laughs) and get back up. Anyway, here's a little clip of that interview, Ali's conversation with Jason Russell. And then don't miss, don't miss next week. Subscribe to the podcast and get it. Uh, Make sure you hear it. Here's a little clip of that conversation. I do want to say this with a large asterisk that I had a breakdown based off of a very unique phenomenon yeah. that came upon me and my brain and body. And so I'm not trying to like diagnose or have you know one cure for everyone or anything like that. I don't even know if I have pro tips, but what I do know is we're all hurting somewhere mm-hmm. and it's important for us to find someone else who's hurting mm-hmm. in a similar way, because mm-hmm. that's gonna heal you more than anything else. Hmm. It'll free you. So there's a teaser. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, listen, if you haven't bought my book, Building a Story Brand, it's all about creating seven messages that customers respond to. And not just about that, it's about positioning yourself as the guide in their life. Never play the hero, always play the guide. There are definitely financial ramifications if you play the hero in your marketing, if you keep talking about yourself, you're gonna lose money. And in my book, Building a Story Brand, I actually explain why. You can go get it right now on Amazon.com. JJ, it sold, our goal was 150,000 copies in the first calendar year. It came yeah. out October 10th. Yeah. It sold 162. I know. And currently, amazing. they're completely, well, I, they'll they, have it by the time <laughs> this you hear rich, this. Yeah, but Amazon but was out. Amazon was out. If you haven't picked it up, go get it. Building a Story Brand uh, is the name of the book. And uh, I love, I, it's, it's prob- I love that book. Yeah. Is that weird to say? Yeah, no. We don't have any of my <laughs> books in my house because I have no emotional relationship with past books, which yeah. is a weird thing. I don't know what that makes for me, but I do love that book. Yeah. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. And guess what? He has new music coming. In just a few days, a brand new record, Dive Deep, Hushed, will be available. As we close out this episode, we're going to give you a sneak peek from that record and play you a song called 
Black Clouds. We love Andrew and love his music. His new album is called Dive Deep Hushed, and here's Black Clouds from the new record. Before that, though, thanks as always for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. How many of you out there? Somebody rate them. Got you running around there. Somebody hurt you. Now you're living underground. Just a common. Thinking I